you'll get a classic 1977 Chrysler painted hot pink, just <laughs> like the B-52s. I've got me a Chrysler big as a whale. <laughs> then the car is as big as a whale. You'll be guzzling <laughs> gas when you drive this. Welcome, everyone, to the Gravity Beard Podcast. We're recording today in Studio A. Thank you, as always, to our listeners. We appreciate your continued support. Well, alrighty, here we are once again. I'm joined by my pal John. Hey. Gre- greetings to you. I said hey. <laughs> <laughs> You're terrible at cues. Yes, I am. We're I'm also not a joined. Smart man. We're also joined by our special guest, Dallas radio icon George Gamark. George, thanks for coming back. It's lovely to be here. Mm. <laughs> let's ping up. Let's pick things up here if we can. Okay, so. You didn't take the the job at WLIR. That was dodge the bullet. Yeah, exactly. That was your version of dodging a bullet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, as you said, it was it was a fork in the road. You took the right fork. Maybe. <laughs> we don't know. You don't know. Excellent point. I mean, so, I could be senior management at MTV by now. Yeah, that's a great point. So right after that. And I'll, I'll let you back up if we need to, and of course tell your own version. But you became the first official hire of the new station, ninety four point five KDGE, The Edge. And once again, you got to work doing what you've always been great at: breaking new ground, introducing the audience, including at this time a young, very impressionable teenage John and Chris, to music we would not have heard anywhere else for any other reason. Tell us about your start at The Edge. Uh, the The Edge was taking over the frequency from uh, from Xerox. Uh, it was stationed way up in Gainesville. And they were coming in from Phoenix. There was, a, there was a crew of about six or seven of them. Sales manager, program director, owner. And they were buying this frequency and they weren't quite sure what they were going to do with it. Although they did want to call the station The Edge. Why do they come into Dallas at all? The guy's an entrepreneur. He's just looking for an opportunity. And here's a station that, that was for sale relatively cheap. Uh, I think he paid, I think he paid four million for. I think he paid four million for it. I think I've actually got the documents um, in my archives. Of course, of course. <laughs> of course. Um, and you know, so I had a meet. I I heard about this really early, and I went and had a meeting with him and dropped off a cassette. And I said, "Here's what I here's here's where I come from, and here's what I think." you should do. And part of the proof of, you know, because uh, they didn't know who I was. Right. Know, they're from out of town. They're from Phoenix. And I said, here's the sort of stuff that I do. And I put these two master, these two 10 inch master tapes on them. And I said, last week I was in the studio with XTC and we've cut five new songs. Bang. Here's the master tapes. That's the sort of stuff I do on a regular basis. That's why I should run this. They said, well, we've already got a program director. You can be music director. You want to you do that? I said, sure. I'll be music director. Fine. Yeah. So they hired me on as music director in afternoon drive, which is the shift I wanted. I didn't want to do mornings. And they started hiring the rest of the air staff. They picked up Wendy Naylor, who was somebody they knew from Phoenix. Right. And they brought her in. And Wendy and I basically designed the station from scratch. Um, you know, built that library and just started getting in all the records and the CDs and the carts. And and that was a good collaboration for you. Oh, it was, yeah, it was great. She and I were f- similar in a lot of ways. We would have famous, we would, we would make 
nasty faces at each other every once in a while, but uh, we generally had a very common vision as to what the station could be as a commercial alternative station, a station that played a lot of records that were considered out there in this market, but really weren't. They were, we were playing a lot of pop. It was a lot of pop stuff. But since nobody else was playing it, we owned the ground. It's like 95% of the stuff we had in our playlist, we were the only station playing it. Right. And these are records that in other parts of the country were, were top 40 records or uh, were at least selling really, really well. I mean, Tears for Fears were, yeah. it, were touring and they were playing in you know, fair-sized venues, you know, thousand-seaters. Yet they weren't being played on the radio anywhere. Like, right. For crying out loud. This, think, it's too incredible. easy. It was just too easy to program that station. And we had a, there were a couple guidelines at the very beginning of, of The Edge. One was um, uh, we would always, uh, one of my things was I would always have a Texas band, uh, a local band in the list somewhere being played as if they were just an, somebody normal. Right. You know. And the others was we would we would do requests. We would put requests on the air, but we would only people put people on the air if they sounded like they were educated, they were college age or better. Never kids, never junior high. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> never it. junior high. Never oh, kids. we were doing it at our you know in our bedrooms, so it was cool. <laughs> right yeah. Yeah. with our tape recorders. Yeah. So so that was that that wasn't allowed because we wanted to make the station set. Didn't want the station to sound like a teen station. We wanted to sound like a college or better station. It was like the evolution of college radio. It was college radio. It was maturing. It was was the next. It was into a commercial wide format. And the jocks needed to sound non. They needed to sound like real people, not not like normal radio jocks. And we did really goofy promotions. We did incredibly. We would come up with this since you're playing that music. You you could do the silliest promotions. And people and get away with it, you know. Like we had the B fifty twos, and we, they had a thing. Well, you know, I've got me a Chrysler as big as a whale, you know. So we said, oh, we got to give away a car. Let's have the station. The station's <laughs> got to give away a car. So we got like a nineteen seventy eight Cadillac from a car lot that the car barely ran, <laughs> and we took it to Earl Scheib and we had it painted hot pink, and um, and I think it was a convertible as well. And we gave it away in this contest. You can win the B-52s, you know, big as a whale, you know, Chrysler. And we gave that damn car away. And people wanted it. <laughs> right. And in people fact, the, people, come who, out the and... people who won it drove it to our promotions for the next couple of years. They were constantly <laughs> showing up at our promotions. Uh, I mean, that was, a, it was a prize that probably cost us 500 bucks, 400 bucks, something like that. And it was a huge you know, giveaway for yeah. us. Hey, we're giving away a car. <laughs> it's like, well, everybody else can give away a new car. We're going to give away a 1970s. I wish I had the promos for it. They were really funny because it's a, you'll get a classic 1977 Chrysler painted hot pink, just <laughs> like the B-52s. I've got me a Chrysler big as a whale. And the, and the car is as big as a whale. You'll be guzzling <laughs> gas when you drive this, you know. And it was, and it was just a way over the top contest and, People dug it. Yeah. Yeah, one of the funniest contests, because like I say, nothing was too silly for us. Um, and there's so many stories. There was one where the cure was coming to town. And this was probably in 90, 
it's a story that's definitely before the age of eBay. Okay, so they're coming to town, and they're staying at the the Four Seasons in Las Colinas. And I went over and found the 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 cleaning crew. Um, and like the last night that they were in town, I went and talked to the cleaning crew that were going to be cleaning up their rooms. And I said, okay, I need to find Robert Smith's room. And I want all the contents that you're going to throw away. Give me a trash bag. Put all of it in a trash bag or two. <laughs> and here's $20 now. You get another 20 bucks when you get that trash bag full and I'll come pick it up. And I get a phone call and it says, Senor. You're kidding me. And it's very creative dumpster. And I went over and I went over and I got my bag and walked out the hotel, brought it back to the station and we opened it up. And inside we had, uh, I actually have the photo. I have photos. Do do I need to dig up a photo for you? Do what you like. Uh, You're the guest. Let's see. Uh, Now, if Robert Smith listens to this podcast and he feels slighted, what are you going to do, Chris? He's welcome to come on and tell his version of okay, the story. Okay, you're just going to say, hey. Express his regret for leaving those ex- items express behind. Express your emotions for George Yeah, dumpster diving for For, for saying he, he should have paid the cleaning crew 40 bucks right. to it's not like, give his sorry. stuff to George. He had a better idea. <laughs> you were outsmarted. Yeah. <laughs> Again, sir. Let's see. Yeah, I, I would eyeliner. like to. I'd like to make a formal uh, invitation to Robert Smith. Oh, okay, yeah. That he's Next time welcome, he's in town, he's welcome to come on the show. How many how many degrees of separation do you think you and I are from Robert Smith right now? <laughs> one, you think one? Just George We're sitting with That's George. It. I mean, George, if you want to reach out to Robert, <laughs> have him come on and tell the other side of the story. He, he's probably I've, he's I've probably, had confession. He probably has no idea. He, I'm quite certain he doesn't. <laughs> I just want to hit him cold with it and get his reaction. <laughs> In 1990, you were in. <laughs> What's the edge? The Four picks. Seasons, Las Colinas. It's Where's gonna Las be. It's gonna be 89. I think there it is, right there. Okay, that's amazing. Let's see if it'll open up. Okay, yeah, this is the this is from the event. Uh, this is you're showing me pictures of all things my parents wouldn't let me attend. <laughs> right, that we so okay. desperately wanted so to here's, see. So here's a picture. Oh. <laughs> this is a picture of some of the stuff. Now, what we did was we we pulled all the stuff out of the trash bag that was sellable, and we assigned it a value uh-huh. in like a dollars, garage sale. just kind of a, yeah, like a garage sale. And then what you had to do was we had a contest at this club. What would I do for Robert Smith's junk? <laughs> And we hope that wasn't misconstrued. We really meant junk, not. I don't junk. think I don't think we were using that term at the time and, for that. Yeah, that's a good point. And yeah. so, w- what you would do, and, and then and then we had you know, like the the five winners or six winners, and you would win Robert Smith bucks. And so the winner <laughs> would have like four hundred bucks, and the second place would get three hundred and fifty bucks, and then three hundred bucks, and what have you. And then the winner would be able to go to the table and with their four hundred dollars and actually buy. Items, literally stuff that Robert Smith used and discarded. Literally Robert Smith stuff. Now I don't know that it was four hundred dollars or if it was it was three hundred dollars. It was something like that. But if we uh, if we look in this, we have the some of his items that we that we had because God, this was this was such a funny funny thing to have. We had John. Does this remind uh, you of anything of his I have hats. in the office? We had uh, yes. an undershirt. This is a pair, a black, a black and 
and blue striped pajamas, tops and bottoms. Oh man, we had a for, set of for three fifty uh, Robert Smith bucks. We had some bucks. spent makeup and eyeliner. We had some lipstick. We had a used toothbrush. We had the soap from the hotel room. All right. Uh, we had underpants two. One was blue, and and yes, he wore he he wore Y fronts. He wore tidy tidy whities or tidy blueies. <laughs> Uh, we had a thum- well-thumbed book of Plato. Which for, he probably wishes he had back. For whatever no. reason. Uh, we had a cigar. There's uh, more eye makeup. A mascara. That's quite a good collection of things. Um, yeah, as you can imagine, various, there's a lot of personal Various hair care products. products. Various hair care products. A lot of hairspray. A lot right. of hairspray. An unopened bottle of beer. More, mas- Guinness, more mascara. Uh, yeah, and... and People, people came through, and let's see. Uh, That's incredible, uh, George. I'm going to assume all this stuff sold out. Oh yeah. Well, there she is. There's that's our, Very our owner's question. our owner's uh, wife holding up the uh, holding up Robert Smith's underwear, underwear. the blue underwear, the blue underwear, and it's uh, getting set up for the auction. <clears throat> and these are various things that people. People were doing this. Was uh, they were playing at Starplex at the time? This is September uh, of 1989. That is a girl who said she would eat spaghetti off of Jerry Lentz's stomach, <laughs> wearing very very acid washed jeans. And uh, and that that's what she did. And we have that. Let's see. Yeah, eating eating <laughs> eating the Jello, which is very embarrassing. Uh, more more things with whipped cream being covered in blue paint. Wow, look at that shaggy haircut there. Um, <laughs> And people, yeah, girls in underwear, guys in underwear. Um, people were doing all sorts of stuff. Sat in a this this guy said he would sit in a in a tub of whipped cream. Fine, hey, try it on. Yeah, Let's see what happens. It. Why not? Let's see what the crowd thinks. So that was a that was a a typical goofy off the rails <laughs> uh, contest that was typical of, of the edge you know why robert smith stuff i used i'd employed that trick actually i think the first time i did the hotel thing was with depeche mode they came through and i did something that was funny because a lot of my air staff thought oh wow that's really innovative and it wasn't at all <laughs> um, is i got hold of the the cleaning staff and i said uh, I will give you. I think I, I. I think I paid him again. Twenty bucks. Twenty bucks each for the top sheet off of the bed of each of the four beds <laughs> that Depeche Mode from the Depeche Mode hotel rooms. So eighty bucks. Uh, well, that goes a and, long way. And it was like, yeah. And so I meet meet here again. Meet him. Pick up the bag. Great. Eighty bucks. <clears throat> And I, we took those sheets back to the station with scissors, and we cut them up into little squares, about an inch and a half square. And then I had some postcards made up that said Depeche Mode slept here and had the date and a little square. And we stapled a, a piece of cloth to each of the postcards, and we gave them away through advertisers. Now, here's where, here's where the, the, the business side comes in. So we go to these advertisers and say, we're going to have this promotion. We're going to be giving away these unique Depeche Mode prizes. So if you buy this, if you buy this $1,500 ad package, we're going to send people to your location on Thursday, uh-huh. your location on Friday, your location on wow. Saturday. 
they sold about $10,000 worth of ads. And we would show up with a big box of these things, one to a person, bang, 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 bang. And you'd get 200 people, 300 people show up to get a, their Depeche Mode. Driving <laughs> the customers. Driving customers into the location. Key thing to do in business. Well, that was something that was done back with the Beatles on their first American tour. Ah. They did it up in Seattle. Oh. But it's so obscure. People didn't remember it, and I was just revisiting that old idea with the edge, and it worked a charm. People were mad about Depeche Mode. Oh, gosh, I right. get a piece of the actual unwandered sheet from their room. <laughs> well, something you... David Gahan sweat. <laughs> and know, who knows what else? Who knows what else? Get the black light. Well, something you demonstrated when we first came in before we started uh, recording is that there is nothing new under the sun. You showed us an ad from 1849 that people are still using those same techniques today. Yeah, so. yeah, taking a taking a a war and turning it into an advertising opportunity. Let me let me ask you this question. This is a curiosity of mine in this conversation. What was your what would you say your primary target audience was for the edge in those early years? Uh or, or, or what if, age if group? Really Everybody wanted, has their if target demographic. If you really wanted to narrow it, it would probably be 2444. Okay. Male female split 50/50. Okay, because because it, as a teenager in those years, you know, I was 15 when the station started and when things kind of took a turn, you know, I guess in the early to mid 90s, I was I was head, I'd headed out, headed off to college, but I ate all that stuff up. All the wackiness, all the strangeness, you know, all the local music, you know, the CDs that we're going to talk about, you know, the concert series. I mean, as a teenager, I consumed all of it. I, I wanted. I wanted to be part of all of it, and so that's one of the did things. You, did you feel like you could relate to the air staff? That the air staff were not so far removed from you. I, I would. I would say yes. To to me, it felt very MTV like. So I grew up in you know as the first MTV generation in the early eighties, and and they seemed right. They seemed more normal. They weren't stiff. They weren't you know. I don't, they, they were probably on airs right. as, as VJs on we, we TV. Felt, we felt like as, we were represented by them to some degree, and that's how I felt with the folks on the edge, is that it, it felt like this is... Not that I didn't understand or appreciate you know, what the zoo was doing or what you know, Q102 or you know, those other mainstream stations, but the edge felt like my station. It, you know, yeah. it, was, playing, it was playing local music. It was <clears> speaking <throat> to me. It was weird. It was eccentric. You know, there's it, some there's some there's some small subtle things that that we did that um, don't get done much in radio these days. Uh, one of them was uh, never talk down to the audience. You mm-hmm. know, we always wanted to. Um, we always felt we always tried to act like you know they're one of us. But the other thing was and. and this is still one of my pet peeves in radio, is disc jockeys who say, hey, we've got the new, you know, Foo Fighters record. You know, we're going to be doing this. We're going up at this weekend. We're giving away tickets all weekend long. No, 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 no. I have the new Foo Fighters record. I'm going to be giving away tickets. Own it. I'm going to be giving away tickets to you. Not all of you are going to have a chance to win. Don't stand on a podium. Mm. don't stand on a podium and become the guy in front of a crowd. Become the guy talking to somebody on the street. Sure. Say, I got the new Foo Fighter tickets. <laughs> Do you want one? Here's my phone number. Give you, I, you need to give me a call. Not, hey, phone lines are open. I want to hear you all call in. Right. Because you know, that, a, cause that makes a, it sound like you're never getting in. 
it's a it's a it's a small thing, but it's those we, that's what we did at the edge. We right. kept it one to one. And here again, that is a nineteen that's a that's a nineteen sixties radio thing. That's something I grew up hearing. Really good jocks sure. were one on one. Yeah. And so I I kind of did that with some of the air staff. It's like, could you could you see if you could do do it this way because and here's why and it's like oh man nobody ever taught me that nobody ever told me that it's like it's effective you know yeah well i remember because let's say in middle school i was listening to the eagle I was i'm so sorry i know i was listening <laughs> to moby in the morning when i you know little, little john brushing his teeth getting listening hey the, the, I, the eagle came to one of our uh one of our oh yeah pep you know, rallies. come to your pep rally or <laughs> you're listening to kid craddock but then as you right. know and you're you know as uh eight nine you're eight and ninth grader you 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 go through that maturity cycle at this time. I was one of those people that went. This is more of my speed, you know, as a as a person who is maturing. That's what you got from the experience at the edge, right? And I remember trying to tell people this all the time. It's like, oh, you got to go listen to the edge. You got to go listen to the edge. They, it's just so different. Well, how's it different? I can't tell you. You got to listen to it. And it was the, <laughs> it was the, uh, it was like you know this. They, they treat you like the person you want to to be, I suppose. Well, it was more inclusive. It was more inclusive. And, Something and, about it. <clears throat> but but also, I was... And the music was so much better. <laughs> I, I was a quirky, eccentric kid, so I didn't fit with the mainstream kids in my school, and this was kind of like that. It seemed it was very inviting to someone like me. Right. And we were very anti-Top 40. You and well, I both. Yeah. You know, part of... The, the other thing with The Edge, and, the, and this is part of the downfall of The Edge, in my in my you know, blinkered opinion, um, was there was a mix. Uh, the music mix on the edge was, it appeared to be a big random bag of jelly beans, but it was very carefully concocted. Um, because they used to, people would say, well, we had these things where you expect the unexpected, you know, that line that Brian mm-hmm. Butler would expect the unexpected. Um, because we would we would say, well, you never really can tell what's going to come up next. Okay, so we had these different categories, and we always tried to keep them balanced. So we had the the we would always play uh, a mix of kind of an equal mix of these boxes. There would be the Americana thing, which would be an REM. It would be a Ten Thousand Maniacs. It would be something like that. We would have the harder stuff, which could be a social distortion. It could be Nirvana or Pearl Jam something like that it would be the silly record and that would be like a b-52s mm-hmm. would be you know just and it's just a silly record yeah. the pop thing which would be kind of like a eurythmics thing or a, a voice of the beehive or something like that Nexus. and then we would have the potentially gay boogie disco butt thing which would be uh an, a song by erasure or ah, delight right. or something like that and these are all kind of disparate elements, but you put them together in the mix and your Nirvana track might go into Erasure doing Ola Moore, you know? <laughs> and it's like normally those two songs would beat each other up in the alley after a show. But <laughs> in our mix, it was it was this this kind of like, oh God, that's a train wreck on the air. No, no. that's, that's an, you can't. You, but I, I enjoyed totally every unexpected. bit of what you just listed. But that but yeah. that's why I would well, listen yeah. for well, such pe- extended periods of time. Is and like I people would think, people would think that 
well, you listen to alternative music. That means you only listen to this. And it's like, right. that's mm. not true. Right. That's not true. People are not monolithic in the way that they listen to stuff. So, um, you know, you could play all these these disparate elements. And if you put them in the, in the right mix, they were really fun. But if you, you know, when the edge after my era, the edge got to a guy who was, he came from a very top 40 background, a very chart background. He started looking at the charts and the charts reflected that you got to play incubus. You got to play creed. You got to play all this hard stuff or all this rap based stuff. And he narrowed it way in Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, they weren't, you know, the, the Edge was never going to play a Pet Shop Boys record. Well, you, you're going to kiss away 30% of your audience because there were 30% of the audience that would tune in for nothing but, you know, the gay records. There was 30% who were going to play, tune in for nothing but the Americana stuff. There's 30%, they're, they're gonna, they're, they live for those hard records. Right. And they'll sit through the other stuff. So you aggregate an audience. Right. And that was the magic of the edge. We were an aggregator with all these disparate sounds that they were all alternative because they didn't have a home elsewhere. Okay, so that, that's exactly what resonated with me specifically, is that I had an appetite, still do, I'm still that person, I had an appetite for the alternative. I, I, even if I couldn't articulate it at the time, I didn't want to hear what was commercial. I didn't want to hear what was over-formatted. I didn't want to hear what, and again, I didn't know they were doing this, but that there were consultants in the background telling me what I wanted to listen to or guessing <laughs> at what I wanted to listen to. Yeah. It, was, it was just original. It was authentic. It was genuine. It was the alternative. That's the specific part of, of the whole thing in that era that, I, that resonated with me the most. That's why it was my radio station. And, and when it changed formats, you knew it. You knew, oh, they went corporate. You know, and especially when they when they switch frequencies, you know, then, yeah. it, then they really went corporate. But but you knew you knew in ninety three ninety four, <clears throat> yeah, they took this sharp left turn. They took away this thing that had this heart and soul. The reason I tuned into the station now it's like every other station. You have a sense of this, but I'm just confirming for you as as a listener from back then. I got it. I right. got what you were doing. Yeah, and I it loved was the it. only bumper sticker I ever put on my car, and I had three of them. <laughs> Three edge stickers, one on the side, right. one in the top. Well, also because like they were in. I'm sorry, the triangle. They, they weren't bumper stickers. They were bumper strips. Strips, right? Because they were about. What, I don't know why that was important. Our owner insisted we had to call them bumper strips. They were not hmm. stickers, and it's like okay. Yeah, and I felt whatever. like I had to let people know <laughs> that I identified. That's how deep the identity went with the music. Um, was to say. You know, I am this. This is who I am. If you're coming across me in my vehicle, you will know well, that I mean, there I'm were, this guy. There were there were Eagle kids. There were there were Q kids. Oh yeah, no, my you know, you know uh, me I wasn't my, one of those kids. <laughs> me and my neighbor John, who he was, you know, he was a hair metal guy. Right, just sit there and argue. It was great because his dream job one day he would work in a factory that made sparks. Where <laughs> <laughs> half-clad women with poured his, water on themselves with his amazing <laughs> mullet that he had. <laughs> I think this is a great place to get into the CDs, the Tales from the Edge CDs. Let, let's talk about some of the music and the way that you compiled it. Talk, tell us about that project. Uh, Tales from the Edge was a project that actually had it roots at, at the zoo. I tried to put together, the zoo put together an album of local music uh, called Zooberry Jam around 1974. And radio stations used to do that sort of thing. And I tried to put one together around 86. Uh, I still have the master tape to it. And it just wasn't going to happen. 
it, it, I couldn't get I couldn't get any support from the the station to put the money to make it happen. So when I got to the edge, I said I want to do these these things called tales. It's going to call, be called Tales from the Edge, and all these unsigned local bands. And we put I put the first one together, and it was going to be a fundraiser uh, for I can't even remember what it was what the, what the benefactor was, and we made up. Uh, uh, I think it was. I think it was 4,000 CDs. I think it was 4,000 CDs at a cost of about, you know, $5,000. A little over a buck a piece. And got all these bands, and the deal was you'd give me a track, and I'd be able to do two printings of the CD. Uh, you wouldn't make any money off of it, but you possibly could play it in the air, and you could be play, you, you could be potentially be tap to play at some radio function, some live appearance, but we're going to talk about you and what have you. And everybody signed off on it. Yeah, people are clamoring. They'll take care yeah, let's, let's do this. Let's get on this thing. So put the first one out, and it's sold out, I, can't, I think, in a day and a half. It's sold its entire printing. And it was now, like, would you take these to remotes? No, this no, no. They, just... were, they, were out at Sound, they were out at Sound Warehouse and other record stores okay. with the agreement the that... They wouldn't take any money off of them. They oh. would sell them for cost and give us all the money, but we would drive people into their stores. Right, you're driving customers. Here again, it's 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 an advertising trade-off, and right because it was it was what would they potentially make off of it? They potentially make a thousand dollars. Well, we're going to give them far more than a thousand dollars worth right. of ads to send people into their store. Simple. Um, so we did the first one, and and after the first one, I found out that the. Uh, the money intended for the charity basically vanished. The station owner uh, took it and sent a pittance to the charity and kept the money <laughs> off of it. And it was like, uh, okay, totally not cool. <laughs> wow. um, right. He had a, he had a, that was the first time of what ended up being four instances that I know that, that funds intended for a charity disappeared, finally culminating in the, the uh, uh, absconding, I don't know, probably a quarter million dollars. But Jeez. Uh, the second, so the second CD was coming around, and the second CD needed to go to Sinram, the company where it was that was manufacturing these, and it, it we had to get, you had to get your time slot, you know, in the the printing plant because there was a wait time, there was a lag time. And they had already sold advertising t tied with the release of the CD because that was how the station was making money off the things. And so I kind of waited to the last minute and said, okay, we need to send this CD off to the, the pressing plant. I need a check because I got to give them half cash up front, half on delivery. And he said, well, how much do you need? And I said, it's $10,000. I need, need $5,000 right now. Well, I don't have $5,000. We're going to miss our slot at the factory. He says, well, what does that mean? Well, that means that we might get bumped six weeks, which means the release party is going to get bumped six weeks. Oh, well, we've already sold this stuff. Hmm. So I put them over a barrel. And then we were just kind of looking at each other, kind of like, oh, my God, you know, we got a disaster here. I don't, I don't have the money. And I said, I tell you what, I can put up the money. And, he's, and he's, look at me, I'm one of, one of his air staff. I said, you're <laughs> going to put up 5,000 bucks? I'm paying you too much. <laughs> I said, I'll put up the money. I'll make it happen. Uh, but uh, let me control the finances on this. 
this one. Oh, okay. So I put up the five grand to make the first one happen. And then I paid the five on the other end of it and just borrowed it and got the first one out there. And it sold really well. Had the money back. Okay. And, and so, tell, tell everybody the price. Cause that was the, one uh, of the quirky I think things it was, about it. I think it was two ninety eight. I think. Yeah. Tails, tails 2. Uh, but, I mean, they all had these really low... Yeah, two ninety four. What was a yeah. two dollars and ninety four cents you know, for a full was CD? A, Normal <laughs> CD was probably ten bucks. Yeah, ten, 10 or twelve sure, bucks for sure. And these were these were like three bucks. They were a loss leader. So this CD cost me, because uh, uh, I, I did a print run of I think five six thousand. I think I did six thousand of these. So six thousand. I probably spent six thousand dollars on this this CD. So six thousand dollars. Is what was what was paid because uh, I yeah because I was probably ginning up when I told the guy it needed five up and five on delivery it was probably six it was probably five up and a thousand on <laughs> but what I was trying to do is I was trying to leverage control which right. I ended up getting so we paid six thousand out for this you sell six thousand at three dollars that's eighteen thousand dollars and this sold out immediately. So what you do is you take that $18,000, you bank 10 of it, and you send $6,000 off to the charity. Yep. Well, the charity gets a big check, and you bank 10. Well, what have you just done with that 10? The next one's free. The next one's paid for. Yeah. Yep. And, the next one, and then it pays for the next one, it pays for the next one, it pays for the That's next right. one. And everything got a little progressively bigger and bigger and bigger until by the time we got to Tales 5, 6, 7, 8, we were selling 15 16,000 CDs. And I think you sold 100,000 total? Sold, sold over 100,000 yeah. CDs totally in the in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And all the money was always going off to the charity and uh, the... Wow, this one doesn't even have Real George Productions as a logo on the back. I'm surprised. Who did the artwork? Because that was one of the, the things that oh, made the it goofy, so... the goofy artwork? And the titles. Uh, I did the titles. The artwork is You did off the titles. Of, yeah, the artwork was <laughs> off of uh, men's magazines from the 1950s. And we, really? started, this, we started this theme of... Um, uh, they, it was all animals attacking people. <laughs> animals behaving yeah, gra- poorly. Grab your stack of CDs, if you don't mind, and read some of the titles. Uh, okay. Because... <laughs> So I, yeah, flying. I, I loved I loved the artwork because it, it was it was kind of retro and it was just super strange, <laughs> and, and I love the title. I couldn't wait for the next tail CD Let's to see, come out. The first Tales from the Edge, which was called "Attacked by a Giant Boa," that was actually the name of the article in the magazine. <laughs> the second one became "Flying Squirrels Ripped My Flesh," right. which was an homage to Weasels Ripped Does, My Flesh, which right. got its ti- that was a Frank Zappa album, which got its title from this very image of the flying squirrels ripped my flesh so this was the snake eating its own Wait, tail so, so that's an actual image <laughs> that's an actual image so, so no, an artist didn't have to come up with those those were well they yeah they did but years ago and it was all public domain no no but but i mean they didn't from the 50s it was from, from the, the article in the 50s those the were actual artwork, artwork from yes. the 50s it wasn't stuff that you came up and then had. number three became cannibal crabs crawl to kill which yep. was just a and the guy's being attacked by lobsters right on the land if you can't outrun a lobster <laughs> on the land uh, I'm I'm so glad to do this, to so, do this interview just to find so out the sad. history of the artwork. Um, number number four was Killer Gorilla, 
not gorilla, but gorilla. Gorilla. <laughs> Confessions of a Simeon Psychopath, uh, which the subhead of Jailbait Runs Wild, Thrill Mad Girls on the Loose, which was typical from the magazines at the time. Uh, five and six became Vampires in the Vaults, 30, 43 Texas Bands on the Rampage, which that was our, our retro CD. And the other one was called Suck Dry in a Lake of Lampreys. <laughs> Uh, Suck dry in a lake of lampreys. Lake of lampreys. That's what we. Then we have. Uh, why did these? Five, why did which these, was a two disc special. Seven and eight became. Well, they, a, they, became, a rock, they, became, they started becoming. Yeah, two becoming disc double, sets. Double, a yeah. rocknophobia. Yep. Um, attacked by the eight-legged groove machines, um, because an eight-legged groove machine. I think there was a there was a Wonder Stuff record called something like Groove Machine, and then we did the we did the techno. <laughs> version on the other side so it was all shot and negative and then we had uh uh the one with the girl being attacked by the octopus which was called eight arms to hold you <laughs> i'm gonna get you sucker uh eight arms to hold you which is the original <laughs> title of uh hard day's night oh. by the beatles was originally going to be called eight arms to hold you wow and That's... so i was just purloining a beatles title <laughs> okay and then the I final one they made the better choice by the, the way. final one so. was the day i gave the dragons a shiner where a guy is being attacked by a bunch of lizards and he's holding them off with a beer bottle which is a shiner that was actually a paid advertisement well from, and then uh, the shiner beer company and I saw one in here that had a let's see, Bud. Oh, there's Bud Dry Draft has a little yeah, yeah. little logo on there somewhere. So there's okay. Little, you got to get your all kinds of you get your advertisements. Of course. Hang on, course. just one second. Okay, let me open this box up. Um, you find stuff in the move that somehow you you think, oh, is that where that went? <laughs> um, let's see. Where'd they go? Wow. There you go. No kidding. Men's Pictorial Magazine. With the uh, is that the lamprey? That's a snake. It would look like the boa attacking. I bought all of these at one time. Okay, so Years for the ago. for the listeners' benefit, George has opened up a box of magazines from the nineteen six early sixties, late fifties. That has the pictures. American Manhood, the Viral Magazine. That has nice. the pictures that were the inspiration, the actual images that were used. Let's see. Here's a magazine for the album covers. Sir. So if you go out to the magazine for males, if you got to Google and you go to images and you Google Tales from the Edge, you'll you'll see the album covers for these albums we're talking about. And George is producing the magazines, the original magazines where these images for the came inspiration. from. Those were definitely in the running. Oh yeah, the one with the sharks. Oh for sure. Because um, I had I I had about twenty of these that I was kind of like going, oh, I could use any of these. <laughs> Because these were, they were, they were such, they were so ridiculous. Well, because well, here here's uh, Men in Action magazine, and one of the uh, titles on the front is the night the stripper went nuts. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, these it was are, a missed opportunity. These are real. Uh, these are real magazines. I mean, these this is this is these are what you call barbershop magazines. This is what was typical. 
we, you know, you would see these in a barbershop back in the 50s, right. men's magazines, where you'd have guys, you know, guy being whipped by the girls in the hoods. Man-to-man. <laughs> Man-to-man. The, man. Man man, the <laughs> women smugglers of Hamburg and vigilantes in These very buxom smugglers. Rita thought torture, a fair return for adultery. <laughs> oh, man, the sort of stories that would scare a guy into uh, behaving This is himself. an inventory of men's magazines I didn't even know existed. No, I had no, you know. We, the, do you feel more virile just the just more traditional route? Absolutely. Yes. Never, never so the have ever magazines of the world. Yeah. I, I just have know of the very mainstream ones that were out there over the years. Oh, see now, this, <laughs> that, see now the, there's a, the sun and health magazine. That's actually a nudist camp magazine. Um, by the way, I think they, they shut down the Ponderosa, John. Oh yeah. I'm uh, not for sure, but I think they did. That's too bad. Is that the one out by uh, Will's Point or whatever? Yes. Yeah. The Ponderosa Family News Resort. Never got the chance to, uh, you know, have my weekend there. I just appreciated oh, that they had a full calendar. That was, defi- of- that was definitely in the <laughs> running. A man tied up by the neck. And this magazine is called... eating his flesh. It's called All Man. All Man. <laughs> so, the amazing story. So this was, this was a boon. I, 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 bought, I bought all of these magazines at one time. And I just said, "Man, this is this is a this is a great source of artwork." Th- that was a, that one was definitely in the running with the I would imagine. danger four thousand volts of eel <laughs> for men only. Although although I wouldn't have used that title, I would have said I would have said something like, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. It would have been shocking but true. Or, there's, a, there's a guy <laughs> being attacked by you. a snake, but I've already used a snake, so I didn't use that snake. An, like- LA, an L.A. crime reporter reveals, I cover the sex beat. <laughs> we struck pay dirt in the desert. See, now, now that I've uncovered these, I have to sell this box. I have to sell, I have to sell these individual magazines because... So did you come across this Treasure Trove of Magazines before the CD collection was put together? And, oh, and well, then, yeah, well before. And then you drew back on it and thought, yeah, that's a great place and I went, for Yeah, this is, I need images. I, why don't I get them from these magazines? Because, you know, and I, and I checked into them, and uh, none of the art was ever registered. It's all, it's all, that's public, incredible. It's all public domain art. That's incredible. Wow. So, you know, you, I could use them and didn't have to worry about anything. Right, right, right. right. So... What, what else? Stuff. What else did did you want to say about the CDs? Just the so if if anybody actually has a hanker and that they want to fill in some gaps, some of the CDs, about half of them, I do have extra copies that turned up in the attic of my house that I just moved out of, as well as the Adventure Club, which Alex Luke put together, which is a fab- yeah. fabulous CD. Terrific, yeah. And I've even got some of the. Uh, uh, CDs. I did CDs like this in San Diego. I did them in St. Louis. I did them in San Francisco. I did them in other markets as well. All told, uh, my little record company, I think we put out about 24, 25 CDs. Wow. So, so it, aside from their availability, is there anything else you wanted to say about the project of putting those CDs together before we move on? I actually have the rights to, to do one more pressing because when I did the original release, I had the right for the original release and a reissue. So we had talked at one point about doing maybe a vinyl best of Tales from the Edge oh, wow. where I would take scattering of tracks and do it and do actually do an album of, uh, of tracks. But I don't know if there's enough interest in the project for that. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about the Edge? <clears throat> Just your time there or that experience? Well, just in general, uh, 
it, it was something that I did. It's not where I live. Yeah. You know, it's right. I, for for John and I. You know, that's I mean that was that was our most formidable years in terms of our just awareness of glory years. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. They were glory. <laughs> so so it really made an impression on us. Obviously, it's a it's a small part of a much greater career and experience for you. Yeah, it was it it was a fun stop of it. It was a heartbreak being shown the door of a station that you create mm-hmm. that you had prepared for for so long. But um, if if I had stayed there here again, that's another one of those. What would happen if you you stay on that road? Um, because in the post in the years after the edge, that led to me. Uh, writing three books, spending five years working one-on-one with Johnny Rotten of the Sex Pistols, um, you know, picking up a Grammy, uh, developing a radio format that uh, earned a pair of U.S. patents. Um, was working that on a vocal? Hmm? What is What was that one? What's that? The, the radio format. Oh, radio format that has certain patents, it's, it's called Radio Sass. It's a short attention span format. <laughs> it's the first format in the, in the nation's history to ever get a U.S. patent. I was going to get to that. <laughs> Maybe next time. That's fascinating. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, You've done so much in the industry. We're you never going to get to it. In, no, in we, we, we it, took, it took me 43 years to get through all this. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> trying You're to, trying to do it in an afternoon. Couple of, for, couple hours. About for, for sure. And, and I, you, t- you just touched on some of the things that I was going to you know, uh, mention. You know, the Grammys, you, the one thing you left out was you consulted for the Time Life series, The History of Rock and Roll. Yeah, I was behind the scenes on Halt and Catch Fire as well. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, First two seasons anyway. You've touched so many things in the radio industry. To me, it's still the thing that stands out, even after this conversation we've had, is that the fact you've always been a pioneer. You're always groundbreaking. You're always thinking creatively. Uh, you're always thinking about what's next, what could be done that's new. Uh, you've well, you've got to have fun. Otherwise, it's work. Right. You, know, you, you don't want all... it to be work. It, it beats working. You know, it's, it sure beats working, which is the title of that first article I wrote. It, it, you know, it all kind of harkens back to that. Yeah. yeah. It beats working. Well, t- touch briefly before we go on. Just, just what, what are your passion projects today, and what have you just what have you been working on the last few years? Uh, the vocal thing is fun. You know, that's that's something I'm not getting paid anything to do. Uh, working with the guys to to do the zoo and Fuzzbox, and we're developing. There's a couple of other music formats we're developing, and a couple talk products we're developing. That's 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 a fun thing to do. Uh, I've got a project I'm working on with Universal right now, a Glenn Campbell uh, album where I've provided uh, two dozen uh, unreleased masters from the 1960s, which uh, is that Grammy number two? <laughs> I don't know. It would be, be very funny. I think it's hilarious that I have a Grammy period. I, I, I don't take it seriously at all. I haven't even framed my Grammy award because I don't take it seriously. Well, what did you receive a Grammy for? Uh, a Hank Williams album. Okay. Uh, uh, best for production? His, uh, best his, I provided the masters for a, uh, a, a, record, a live recording of Hank Williams that nobody knew existed. And wow. I, and I discovered it and got it into the right hands and to, you, you, to get you did, the thing out. You did because you you're do. willing to go to a barn in Sherman and look through this stuff. Is, Actually, you know. this came out of a mini warehouse. Yeah, but, yes, but you know, same, same thing. You're willing to go that, more, that yeah. step. The more modern version of a barn. Uh, and... Uh, 
then you know right now for the last for the last almost 10 years I've been running uh, this all comedy radio network thing which is fun and it's growing I wish it should be growing faster than it is but that's uh, you know that's my frustration comedy is basically um, punk rock comedy and punk rock are totally parallel it's it's artists who have independent releases who play in small clubs Mm-hmm. 75, 100 people. Um, they are the canaries in the coal mine. They're societal uh, harbingers. Right. And they have personality disorders for the most part. <laughs> it is. There's no question. Rock. It is yeah. punk rock. Uh, yeah. And I've, I'm very at home in that community. I've been a fan of comedy since I was a kid. I've got an enormous collection of it. And now I am as invested in comedy as I was in alternative music. Oh, wow. And a lot of people have no idea that that's, that's my other side. That's where I am now, you know. So, you know, yeah, I spent time working with, you know, Johnny Rotten. Well, you know, I spent time working with Jim Gaffigan or Ron White. And, <clears throat> and when, when George says he's a fan, he showed Chris and I his, his wall of comedy vinyl. And when I say mm-hmm. it's a wall, we're talking... Yeah, five by five, yeah. you know, shelf. I mean, of, it's of, a bit. That's just <laughs> yeah. the vinyl stuff. That's not I the mean, DVDs and the CDs. That's just the vinyl. That's the old school stuff. You know, going back to the to the collector and archivist thing. Did you want to say anything about the Texas Musicians Museum? Uh, it's it's a story that's unfolding at the moment. So okay, I don't know. Uh, not really. We're and waiting for the next iteration. This is we just we just closed the door on iteration number three. Okay. So we'll see where number four is. Got it. And we, we've already talked about it just a little while ago and just kind of consistently, but you, you have an enormous archive of audio. And it's not just Lots music. stuff. It's not yeah. just music. It's comedy. It's talk. It's, it is music of all different genres. You know, I mean... A lot of odds and sods. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. For sure. George, thank you for your time today. That's uh, we, it. I mean, you kicking me to the curb? <laughs> no, no. I, th- I think believe you've got an appointment I'm coming spent. up. But we're going to go back out to the tent, cook some hot dogs. We'll be back in tomorrow morning. No, I mean we're we're absolutely honored. Thank you so much for coming on the show. There's a million stories in the Naked City. <laughs> <laughs> naked City. Maybe that's it. There you go. Oh, it's been done. We can edit that. For our special guest George Kamark, my co-host and pal John, I'm your host Tof. And we'll see you next time. Me and my neighbor John, who he was, you know, he was a hair metal guy. Right. He would sit there and argue. And it was great because... His dream job, one day he would work in a factory that made sparks. (laughs) (laughs) Where half-clad women poured water on themselves. With his amazing (laughs) mullet that he had. People don't know this is the fourth day of recording. Because I've, I've actually thrown these guys out of my house three times. <laughs> we just won't leave. We, ke- we, we pitched a tent in George's yeah. front yard and we would not leave. He got tired of the campfire. <laughs> Is there anything else that you'd like to tack on the end? Anything else we missed? Yeah, they, this 42. That's the secret. 42. from the Podfix Network. You can check out more shows like it at podfixnetwork.com.